from Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a safety prerogative, this is the source of information on psychological injury prevention and health promotion. Hi, and welcome to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. My name is Jason Van Sheet, and I'm one of the hosts of the show. The aim of the podcast is to rapidly increase the knowledge and application of psychological health and safety in workplaces worldwide. To help with this, we have regular guests from around the world who are leading the way in this important area. But before I introduce our guest and topic for today, allow me to introduce my co-host, Joel Mitchell. How are you, Um, I'm feeling a bit flat. Yeah, why is um, that? We've got some um, two, two people at home with man flu or boy flu, depending on which one I'm talking about, I suppose. Um, so yeah, that's, that's y- happening. Yeah, and as I just said to you off air, I'm surprised you're at work because that's life-threatening man flu and it feels like you should be at home supporting those men in your life. I'm confident that my adult husband can manage without me well, it's quite for the, deb- it's for the quite eight hours. That ha- having work. experienced man flu several times myself, it's quite debilitating and it's hard to get out if, of bed or do anything. If he hadn't already had it for a week and been on, he's sort of on the recovery end of it now – then, yeah, may have been in a work-from-home situation for the week. Yeah, um, yeah. But I prefer to get out of the germ factory as much as possible as well. Yeah, I, I think we should have a man flu expert on at some point just to um, dispel the myths uh, perpetuated by females um, regarding how it is not as um, bad as what men make it out to be because it is seriously bad having experienced it myself. Mm-hmm. As opposed to just the regular flu? Yes. Have you had a regular flu or have no. you only, yeah, you've only, only had only man flu. flu yeah. So you've got nothing to compare it to. Oh, I can see. My wife seems to operate quite well when she's got the flu, still like cook meals and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So clearly it doesn't affect her as much as it does me. And the only difference is that she's a woman and I'm a man. I think there's probably some other differences. Okay. Well, uh, I, that's why I think we need to clear it up. Probably, a- apparently, uh, it's, it's, apparently it's the estrogen. That was the um, the thing that Dan circulated the other week, saying that there was scientific evidence of men having it worse than women when it came to flus, and apparently the the estrogen is the thing that um, makes it not as bad for women, allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. We should get an expert to corroborate that. Yeah. Well, probably a gender balanced panel of experts. Yeah, like that diversity panel that we're looking at. That was all like you know middle-aged males, which yeah. was yeah, a great super, panel, super diverse. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I digress. We're yeah. uh, not a podcast that's uh, about um, health and uh, health health matters. We, we are about it? health yeah. and safety. Yeah, yeah I was going to say we're not yeah. really about um, colds and flus, though. No, 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 more psychological health and safety. Yeah. yeah. So I should probably what's, um, what's inside in- your head, not what comes out of your nose. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, you don't want what's in your head coming out of your nose. That would be bad. No, that would be. I'm not a doctor, but I'm assuming that would not be great. Yeah, (laughs) ill-advised. So maybe you should introduce our guest. Let's do that. Yeah. He's a self-described recovering corporate executive who was on a mission to decrapify work. I like him already. Mm -hmm. Uh, He writes blogs and speaks regularly on leadership teams and future of work and the insanity of the organizations. He helps people start um, mutinies. Oh, okay, I didn't read this beforehand. Okay, so he's a pirate. Yep. Um, breaks rules and makes good trouble as opposed to bad trouble. He's a founder of Decrapify Work, great name for a company. Uh, I'm not sure if we could register that um, as a business name in Australia, but he's obviously done that. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Colin Yulin. 
Hello. Thank you for inviting me. Well, uh, thank you, Joelle, for finding you and inviting you. Um, I'm really interested, given what she's told me um, about the conversation that we're going to have today, to, uh, to find out more. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. All right. So, Colin, um, a couple of uh, easy questions before we get into the, uh, the more detailed stuff. What podcast do you like to listen to? Uh, there's a couple that I listen to uh, regularly, um, one of which is uh, Lead from the Heart, which is by Mark C. Crowley. Um, which is, does what it says in the tin, really. Um, that's what he talks about. He's been talking about it for about 10 years, um, and it seems to be, uh, getting some serious traction now. But he invites, you know, lots of guests on there, lots of, lots of psychologists and stuff. Uh, and also, um, Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, which is by Bruce Daisley, um, who, and I think he calls it a mixture of work, culture, and psychology. So, um, yeah, a bit of a thread there. But they're both they they both have really interesting guests, I think, um, and uh, from quite a broad spectrum. Because you know, so I think it's good to look at lots of different fields when when looking at this stuff. And you co-host a podcast as well, don't you? Yeah, we do one called Work Punks, which is um, three white middle-aged guys sitting around pontificating. <laughs> but we're not pontificating about diversity, so that's okay. Um, and we've just, we've just, yeah, we had our first guest recording this week. So, um, uh, yeah, it's just a bit of fun. Um, keeps off the streets, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, podcasting is fun. Yeah. It is, yeah. yes. And we certainly enjoy the guest aspect of it as well. We get to meet lots of people and have conversations that you wouldn't get to have at a conference if you were listening to somebody doing a keynote. So that's, uh, what we enjoy about it. One yeah. of the things. Yeah, yeah, and, and taking our um, uh, continuing professional development box for, uh, <laughs> for our regulator here in Australia. Yeah. Um, so, Colin, can you tell us about your professional career, please? Um, yeah, so I, I, I had a, a, a 25-odd years in, in corporate life, um, and it, I, I always say it's split, it split into two parts. So uh, I spent a long time with um, a large telecoms organisation in the UK, and uh, the first half of it was great because it was uh, in this sort of new technology areas, quite entrepreneurial, um, and you had lots of opportunity to, if you've got an idea, people would say, go and see what you can do with it. You know, um, uh, it was, a, I really enjoyed being there and it was fun, lots of personal growth, you know, um, uh, and then we got sucked into another part of the business, which was sort of the opposite end of the spectrum. It was very hierarchical very command and control and fear driven. Um, and that was pretty awful really. <laughs> so, um, uh, and ended up, you know, uh, being quite damaging. Um, and I was sort of stuck with this conundrum, right? You know, cause the first, the first part of it, of that period of, of my career was, was, you know, very productive. People were very, being very creative and innovative and all that stuff that companies say they want. Uh, and the second half was, you know, people were not doing stuff like that, obviously. Um, and you'd think more companies would be like the first bit, but more companies seem to be going down the route of, you know, that command and control and hierarchy and stuff. Um, so, uh, so that was, that had been sort of nagging away at me for, for a while. Um, so I had another couple of jobs after that, which sort of ended, one ended in redundancy and one we, we parted due to artistic differences, shall we say. Um, so I sort of fell out of corporate and, and didn't know what to do. And I spent a bit of time doing some other projects, um, 
uh, I did some coaching for a while. And then um, I got I got a bit sort of lost and, and um, this issue wouldn't go away. So about three and a bit years ago, I sort of thought, I'm going to start writing about this because it's annoying me. <laughs> so that was when Decrapify Work started. And shortly after that, along came uh, the pandemic and everybody had to work at home. Um, and I'd been a, a, a remote, well, a, a, I'd always had a laptop since about the early 90s and been going around the world, you know, in the country, logging into my email, crawling under desks to plug in modems and stuff like that. Um, and I had a flexible approach to work. So when everybody else started doing that, I thought, oh, the world's caught up at last. Uh, but it seems that's not quite how it's worked out. So, mm. so uh, I guess you've been on a professional mission statement um, that we love, uh, which is to crapify work. It's actually similar to Adam Grant, right? Like make work not suck. Yes. Yeah. So it's uh, we 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 really resonate with that as a as a mission. Um, so tell us a bit about that and, and what you're doing in uh, decrapify work. Um, yeah, I sort of um, I, I the reason I came up with that was I sort of came up with this idea that or this concept of the process of crapification, which is that over the you know last twenty thirty years or so, work has just got progressively more crap. Um, and this is due to the forces of crapification, which is, you know, profits before people and lots of process, uh, measuring efficiency rather than effectiveness. Um, you know, the constant pressure of more doing more for less, having to always be available because you've got a phone in your pocket and your boss thinks he can phone you up at two in the morning and that's okay. Um, all these things that have sort of just progressively made uh, work worse. Uh, and it wasn't great in the first place at times, as I knew from my own experience. So it, it's really about trying to, to make people aware of what's going on in their work situation, how that's how that's affecting them, um, and giving them some ideas of how to uh, mitigate that and navigate their way through that. Because you know, I, so I, I had a not great, a bad experience at corporate life, really, and I met a lot of people since. Uh, and a lot of that was because I didn't really understand what was going on. And I think when you're in those situations, you, you never think it's as bad as it really is. And it's only after when you look back, you think, oh, God, if I, if I didn't realise that's what was happening, then I would have behaved differently. I could have taken different actions or you know, taken a different approach. So um, what sort of support do you provide to your clients um, to help them decrepify work? Uh, well, Kerry, I'm, I'm sort of mostly around coaching people. Um, but yeah, I'm looking at, you know, if I can develop some courses and stuff, but, but also just raising general awareness, you know, so I, I, I blog regularly on LinkedIn, um, do stuff like this, you know, try and get the word out, um, and, and looking at other ways of, of expanding that. Yeah. And is it coaching primarily people leaders on what they can do, or is it, um, the employees themselves who are subjected to crap work? Um, Yes, I prefer working with the employees, um, but I, you know, I'm not. I don't mind. I mean, if other people want to, want to work with me, but uh, yeah, I, I saw I did. I did there's, there's sort of three types, I guess, that I've identified that I was in that situation in my career. You know, uh, one of which was being in an organisation and trying to make change happen, um, uh, both both in a positive and a negative space. And then uh, there's a bit of a sort of situation people get into where they. Quite often you end up in, in a role where you quite like the work, but you're not enjoying the role and the people and the, 
you know, the people above you and the situation. Um, and you don't know what your options are because you're probably, you know, in the middle of your middle career. Um, that can be difficult. And then, of course, if like me, you end up sort of falling out of corporate. How do you navigate your way after that? Yeah, terrific. So, yeah, people who get stuck at different phases of their career path by the sounds of it and you help get them unstuck. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And I think it's people who have that, you know, I have to do something. Like, I'm not happy with this, but I can't just sit back and... So, well, there's certainly plenty of crap going on in the world of work at any point in time. Um, so we've got lots of fodder that we could talk about. Um, the topic that we've uh, that I've reached out to you today about, because I do see you posting on this uh, quite a bit, is the uh, return to the office push that's coming from some um, some quarters, uh, some people, some areas. Um, so based on your observations of, of this and sort of the commentary that's been going on, which groups uh, are sort of the primary drivers behind this return to the office push? So I think... Um I mean, I think there's some of the obvious suspects, which are the people that own the offices, <laughs> the landlords, um, and they've got quite a lot of power and influence. Um, and I think there's a lot of media stuff that they're driving. Uh, and government is, is it's a bit mixed, but sometimes government supports them. Sometimes they don't. Um, city organ, you know, city government governments are. Also wanting people back in the office because they're worried about revenues and you know long-term economy of the city. Um, but within the organisations, it's, it's I think pretty clearly it's the guys at the top, and they often are guys who who want people back in the office. Um, and I think some managers as well, some managers you know who are used to managing in that office environment struggle with with you know a hybrid approach. And just want to go back to when it was easy. Yeah, I guess um, some of the bigger names that we've seen are like Elon Musk, who is pushing for people to go back to the office, whether that's you know Twitter or um, Tesla. Um, locally, we had been on Resources, which is a mining company um, that did that, and I can understand why they spent a bomb on some really great, um, uh, a great, great office environment. They've got like in-house barista and gym and all this sort of stuff, and. Yeah, I could see why they might think it's a bit wasteful if employees are choosing to work from home still rather than come into this gorgeous office that they've got. Um, so I guess what what do you see then as the main drivers for employers who want people to return to pre-pandemic work locations? So I think there is a bit of that, you know, where we've spent all this money, you know, the sunk cost um, fallacy. Um, I, I, I think, I mean, and you know, there's there's also like power and ego and status because if you're the boss and you've got the corner office, you want to come out and see people there, you know, paying attention and working hard. So I think those those are not unimportant drivers of the people at the top, and uh, but they also have these, you know, the, the the beliefs, and I think they are beliefs that that it works better, and they normally work and culture. But there's precious little evidence that, that, that those are actually impacted. And, and there's a bit of evidence in the opposite direction that actually, you know, in some ways teamwork is, has been better um, uh, when people were working at home in the pandemic, which is a bit mad, really. And certainly we know that the office is a major source of distraction and disruption and 
you know, you've got the commute, which people find exhausting. Uh, and of course, it's inflexible, so it, it doesn't help people um, integrate work in their lives. So, yeah, I, I think they've got a there's a strong belief system um, within big organisations at the top that you know this is the right way to do things. But there's precious little evidence to show that that's true. Um, well, I mean, what is clear though is that there is there's a pain of adjustment. I mean, it's not you know these people have been working in this way for you know 20 30 years having to change is, is is difficult and challenging at times and some of them would rather just not do that so do you think it's a, a problem primarily for for leaders um rather than employees um yeah who, who do you think it's impacting the most uh the the current hybrid or the changes in in what we've seen the new normal as i guess people are describing it which is hybrid work i think i think the guys at the top are um, finding it, yeah, a bit difficult. I, I think the, the people that are really probably struggling the most are, are those, you know, the middle managers who have been just told to sort this out and not not always trained and supported to do that or given the tools they need uh, to do that. Um, and that, you know, that middle management role has always been quite a tough job. I think it's become really tough now. Yeah, now it's like the half forward in football. It's a tough job, but someone's going to do it. Um, yeah. I wouldn't know. No, you wouldn't. It's a sports no. ball analogy. It's a sports ball yeah. analogy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously there are, um, you know, employers believe that there are benefits to that returning to the office arrangement. Um, do you think that there are benefits from having people in the office? I don't, I don't think there are benefits from uh, having people, you know, full-time back in the office. I mean, clearly – there are benefits in getting people together and, and you know using that time to build relationships and connections. But it, you know, in terms of frequency uh, and how you do that, I think that's quite quite variable. I don't think there's a, you know we we had this sort of standard that applied right across the broad board of you know five days in the office for absolutely everybody. And I don't think that we're going to have another you know there's not going to be we're not going to return to some standard again because each industry is different, each organisation is different, each team is different. Uh, and also work, you know, I, I, thing I don't see very often talked about is, you know, work has a cadence. And there are, if you're working on a project, there are times in that project when you really all need to be together a lot of the time, closely connected, and other times when you don't. And so, you know, there, there's lots of different uh, forces affecting it. Uh, it it's not, you know, having a set routine is, is really not very helpful, I don't think. Did that answer the question? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's uh, it's, and definitely something that we have, we've observed, right? So there's no hard and fast rules in our office. It's kind of like, well, what what's life throwing at you? Whether it's um, parkour or whether it's uh, you know my partner's gone back to work two days a week, and it's just going to be easier for me to work from home for two days a week. Uh, it's just yeah, like you said, or, it's um, a, I live a ninety minute drive from the office, and I don't <laughs> want to do that twice a day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> It's really, like you say, with technology and the ability to do hybrid work, um, we can much better integrate work with life rather than getting life to stop uh, for for work. Um, and so, yeah, taking more of an individualised approach about what works for different people. Like I prefer to work in the office five days a week uh, and distract everyone while I'm at it. Um, Jason is a big distraction. Um, if you want to get work done, you're actually better off doing it. And that's home. another another reason why people choose to work uh, remote sometimes yeah. to get work done. And so Jason won't distract me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so yeah, so uh, I think there's there's lots of benefits, but I guess for those employees who are going, well, actually, we want to want to go back to pre-pandemic normal. We we want uh, people to go, come back to the office, and that's it. Just work five days a week from there. No choice. Are there uh, potential adverse effects that they might not be aware of? Yeah, definitely. I had, a, I had a, come across a great phrase the other day, which is instead of presenteeism, you get resenteeism, which is people, yeah, people in the office who are just just pissed off because you dragged them back and made them do that, you know, hour hour and a half commute, uh, and all they're doing is sitting there doing Zoom calls and stuff. Um, yeah, that's not going to be very good for productivity, morale, you know, culture. <laughs> Hi listeners, Jason here. We hope you're enjoying this latest podcast episode. Now, if you're like Joelle, Alicia and myself and enjoy learning from the best, then the Flourish DX Academy is for you. The Academy includes free e-learning courses on the ISO 45003 standard for psychological health and safety at work and associated topics such as how to conduct a psychosocial risk assessment and how to create the business case for psych health and safety. All courses feature high-quality videos, downloadable resources, multi-choice questions, and a downloadable training certificate on completion. Take your learning to the next level with all Flourish DX Academy courses included within the Flourish DX mobile app. Select podcast episodes from the Psych Health and Safety Podcast and sister podcasts from Canada and the USA are also included. Get started with Flourish DX for free at www.flourishdx.com forward slash get hyphen started. That's www.flourishdx.com forward slash get hyphen started. Now back to this episode. And, and that's something I guess we've been talking about psychological health and safety or mentally healthy work as well. Like, you know, if you're working for an employer that truly cares and is actually catering to um, like creating work design that is good for your mental health, uh, why would you choose to work uh, anywhere else? So it's going to keep you there. But if you are working in a horrible place, it's burning you out. And you can see, oh, over there, my friend's actually saying that they're doing a similar job and they love it because their employer cares so much. You know, why wouldn't they just go and jump ship and work over there? So equal pay, but, you know, much better conditions. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's been evidence that people actually will accept a pay cut for, for that benefit. Um, and there was um, Gallup did a study um, on, I can't remember if it's part of their global report or not, but it was a study on the perception that my employee cares for me um and it had risen quite a lot from i think from in the 20 percent to over 40 percent uh in the pandemic um because obviously there's a lot more communication and it's plummeted since and it's lower than it was before um so these return to office mandates are not going down well at all and the perception is you know that i don't care and i, and I think generally the guys at the top we're forcing these things through. They don't care. Yeah, is it that they don't they don't care, or they're not aware of how these mandates um, are actually changing uh, perceptions of employees and some of these downside risks, like you're talking about? Are they are they cognizant of those things, or does it factor into the decision making if they are? Uh, I, I mean, in truth, I don't I don't really know. I mean, maybe a sort of a bit of willful ignorance there. They probably do know what the answer to that question is, so they're, they're just not going to ask the question. <laughs> yeah, and it's, I mean, there's always an element of the power dynamic there where there's that, you know, I'm at the top of this organisation and I hold the power and I 
you know, I'm I'm the one who gets to make these decisions and um, you people who are employed by me don't have that same level of power. Um, but then, you know, there's a little bit of a reality check when we've got, you know, tight labour markets and that sort of thing where actually um, your workforce do have a lot of power in terms of who they choose to work for um, and if they choose to not work for you, that really affects your um, ability to be competitive in the market as well. Um, if you're, you know, reducing um, the quality of um, candidates that actually want to work for you, um, you know, if you're a last resort employer, then you're going to get, you know, employees who are probably not not your first choice either. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, and, you know, the, I, I hate to tell you this, Jason, but the world is not full of Jasons. Most people do not want to go back to the office five days a week. <laughs> most people. Yeah, mo- you know, most people yeah. don't have three young kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, if I was in your situation, I might feel much the same. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, so, so it, 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 this is this is not something that's been driven by, by what employees want because employees quite clearly want more flexibility. Yeah, I, I think they must know that they're ignoring and uh yeah and the other part of, of remote of course is a point i don't know if you follow chris heard at all who, who's on linkedin a lot he talks a lot about remote work um he makes the point that you know if if you are if you're fully remote you can hire the best talent from anywhere in the world uh rather than you know hire talent from the 30 miles around your your office um you know that, that's going to be a big factor in some in some industries yeah i mean that that's certainly the case for us where um recruiting some additional psychs into our team at the moment and they're located over the other side of the country from us, the people that we're talking to at the moment. So um, it just gives us an enormous amount of uh, flexibility and, and much more options um, in terms of, yeah, who, who that talent is. Um, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I mean, I remember when I was recruiting for your position, Joel, and uh, I had asked for a recommendation. It was a pretty short list of what I wanted as um, – um, you know the the experience uh, profile and qualifications profile. I wanted an organisational psychologist who had experience with safety management systems and preferably had worked for a regulator. Um, and two people in the whole state met that criteria. One was happy. One was Joelle. She's uh, often unhappy. I'm, I'm never happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now that she's working with us and <laughs> doing what she loves, but um, yeah. So it, it does. Yeah, to to find people in our field. Uh, with particularly people who've got experience and are good at it, you know, we do have to look farther afield than our own state, uh, and that will be the same for, um, like you say, Joel. You know, any any kind of occupation as well. You'll be able to hire the best talent if you um, have that uh, that hybrid work arrangement or uh, ability for people to work full time remote if that's uh, if that's an option. Yeah, and that sort of leads me into the next thing that I wanted to talk with you about, Colin. Is that you know, it's not a um, binary situation here where we're sort of you know all in the office all the time or all working from home all the time right we've got this thing that's called hybrid work um so and there's lots of different approaches to that I guess um so would you be able to describe for our listeners some of the more common hybrid models of work uh yeah sure I'm gonna I'm gonna pinch a model that I got from a Christine Armstrong um who does a, a really good weekly vlog on LinkedIn. Um, so she talks about uh, there's two types of remote, which is 100% remote or work from anywhere, 
which is remote where you get together on a regular basis this um so people tend to get together like once every three months and then you can choose any day to come in the office and fixed hybrid which is this you know people have to be in tuesdays wednesdays and thursdays that seems to be quite a common model uh and then she's got uh the four day week which we haven't talked about yet but um as an option and you know good old elon's favorite approach of 100 percent back in the office yeah so i think that's a pretty good classification of the, the options um or at least it's a good basis to start thinking about what you want to do yeah and so there would be pros and cons i guess for for those different options and um from an employer's perspective you would need to think about you know how i guess how do we go about actually being productive in our workplace how much of it is people sort of working um in doing that deep work i guess where it's just their brain um producing something thinking about something how much of it is collaborative how much of that collaboration actually needs to be in person um, so there's lo- lots of different factors there. Are there um, others that um, that you could think of that an employer would sort of want to think about? Well, I mean, I mentioned before about like you know the cadence of of work and how projects are. But I think it, I mean it, 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 this varies enormously across across different types of industries and the type of work being done. So you know this sort of where, where they've got a fixed fixed days in the office. I think if you've got a, a work environment where the work is a bit unstructured and it's quite, you know, maybe quite dynamic, you don't really quite know what's happening, then you've got a higher need to have people available if there's some sort of sudden event that you've got to respond to. So that possibly is an argument for, for going down that route. But if you've got a much more structured work program, um, then, you know, the the fluid hybrid or the work from anywhere is is very possible um so i think to some degree there's you know there's there's how good is the leadership and the management uh, how well how well performing is the company because uh, if it's a bit of a chaotic environment and managers are always reactive and the leaders don't really know where they're going um then they're going to want people in the office because they don't really know what they're doing from one day to the next whereas um perhaps a better a better structured and managed organization might be have a bit more forethought, be able to give people that flexibility. So it sounds like um, probably focusing on upskilling middle management in particular in um, different approaches to management and how you can actually effectively manage a hybrid group of workers would be a good step for organisations to take in, in terms of being able to do this successfully. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think also actually you know, like training the workers, you know, the employees in how to operate in that environment in those teams um, and giving them the tools to manage their time and priorities in, in that way. Because uh, I think, I don't, I mean, I, I don't think people get taught that very much. It's sort of assumed, you know, how to organise your work. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I guess depending on what sort of um, background you've come through into the workplace as well and how long you've been maybe working in a very um, rigid work environment as well. Yeah, it can um, those muscles can atrophy over time, I guess, that sort of um, self-management type of an approach. It's also different personality. We haven't really talked about different personalities as well, you know. So, so some people are more diversity. I mean, you know, for some people... 
um, they they prefer to be out of the office, you know, working on their own more. Um, all of these factors come into play and trying to figure out what the best way forward is. And, and I think we need to equip leaders and managers to, to accommodate. Yeah, and then um, you've just made me also think about uh, sort of people with disabilities, people with neurodivergence, um, you know, that whole group of really underemployed, usually, people um, who have really enjoyed the pandemic because it's actually given them um, much more access to, to work than they've previously had. Um, and so, yeah, again, you know, from a, um, from a benefits perspective from an employer, you know, you've got a whole segment of, of the workforce opening up to you there if you're able to, um, act, yeah, facilitate that hybrid work um, or that remote work in a way that's effective for your business. Yeah, and, and you know, like um, people with caring responsibilities, which is often women, but uh, increasingly... You know, the dads are getting involved as well. So parenting responsibilities um, can be take can be taken on board much more. You know, I've got um, my son's and his wife have just had a grandson, and he's much more involved in um, his son's you know, care than I than I was. And it's it seems to me that's much more rewarding for him. Um, and I think that's that's you know that's a good thing, good thing for companies, but it's a good thing for society as well. Yes, having more dads involved at an earlier age is definitely better for society. I think. And I'm sure that there's uh, data around there to support that as well. Um, I'm interested in um, hearing a bit more about asynchronous work as well. What can you What can you tell us about that? Yeah, I think I, I think this is where the big wins are. I mean, with the conversation so far has been very much about location and how you know, days in and days out, but it's actually embracing new new ways of working um, that can enable companies to become much more uh, effective. I believe, uh, and async is a big part of that. So, you know, what we saw in the pandemic was we've been sitting in offices working synchronously you know, together, and the pandemic came along, and all that happened was all that synchronous work was stuck online. So we're sitting on Zooms rather than sitting in meetings. Um, whereas if you're working asynchronously, um, you can get rid of an awful lot of the meetings um, for starters, which which is a massive time suck for almost everybody. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of talk about, you know, making meetings more effective. Well, the most effective meeting is one you don't have. Um, so, yeah, async work means, you know, documenting what, what goes on, having having clear processes, yeah, having the information available for everybody when they need it. Uh, and it's also uh, enables people to, you know, then manage their work to do it at the time that suits them. Um, which may be to do with you know, their life, other life commitments, but it may just be you know their personal bio cycle. That, you know, some people would love to work in the morning, some people love to work late at night. Um, async you know, enables people to put the work where they're going to be most effective. Um, so I think that's really you know that's where companies have got big wins on offer if they want to take them. Yeah, and there's so much technology now to support it, right? With cloud file sharing and um, you know different, oh, we use probably most of the um, kind of project management boards like Trello and you know mm. some of the teams resources and stuff. Uh, we have a member of our team who we call the Serbian Elf. Uh, he's a developer who started with us in our Perth office, uh, but then during COVID he went back to be closer to his family in Serbia, and he's continued just to work for us from there. 
but there's a good time zone difference, right? About seven hours difference. So he'll typically start in the afternoon our time and then work into the wee morning. So uh, wee hours in the morning. And so what our developers often will do, they'll do a bit of a handover with him in the afternoon and then he continues to do his bit at night and then we come in in the morning and it's all done. So it's, uh, it's, 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 it feels like magic sometimes. It's like, Hey, here's a problem that needs, here's a problem that needs to be solved. Um, you, you, you do that overnight and we come back the next day, it's done and we keep moving. So there's actually some productivity gains rather than halting the whole team. It's like, this is something that can get done overnight and then we can continue to be productive when we come in the next day. Mm. I mean, there used to be a thing called follow the sun, which, you know, the major, major national corporations used to do for a customer service typically. But that's, you know, that used to be a thing to get. It's not just about the productivity. And there seems to be some link between the two. I don't know if anybody's noticed that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's about that time. Um, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, Colin, it's uh, been interesting chatting with you. It's, um, yeah, something that, you know, we've been observing a lot and people have been sharing a lot about their experiences, whether they be good or bad on LinkedIn, uh, either as a leader or as an employee who's subjected to some of these management decisions uh, and definitely stuff that we've been, you know, try, trialing, you know, uh, ourselves like within our own office. So it is uh, something that's close to home. So really interesting discussion and hopefully our listeners have gotten a lot out of it as well. Uh, but about this point in time in all of our podcasts, we like to ask our guests um, a question um, I guess we haven't spoken directly about mental health um, specifically, but I guess in terms of the future of work, what, what are your hopes for the fu- for the future of work? Um, so, so, you know, I, I spoke earlier about this sort of uh, conundrum that had been bothering me that, you know, we, we know what the, the good ways of working are, but we seem to keep going down this path of making life work, work crappier and more oppressive. Uh, so, you know, I, I'd like to reverse that trend <laughs> and uh, and take work back to being something that was much more human and, um, you know, back to those early days that I had where it's an opportunity for growth and development and learning um, rather than something you have to endure so you can, you can you know, get through the rest of your life. Um, it should be, you know, work should be something that is a positive, contribution to your enjoyment of life not distraction or um or, or negative as, as it you know, is for, for far too many people yeah uh, i think it's that uh, human factors question right like how do we design the work around people rather than designing to an outcome so for designing to an outcome like you know patient safety or um, student achievement if we're thinking about health and education we sometimes forget about the people doing the work but if we say, hey, look, we want to have the best teaching uh, or education in the world or we want to have the best healthcare in the world, uh, what does that look like if we start with the people who are delivering that service? Because um, we know if we look after those people, then the outcomes will take care of themselves. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I much prefer to see in the future that you know work is designed around the needs of humans rather than people having to fit into a box to achieve an outcome that is not necessarily congruous with good um, health or, or mental well-being. Yeah, and I think there's a big thing about, you know, we have, I mean, my wife was, was a teacher. She, she got sort of gave, gave up the teaching side because of this process orientation and measurement and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, the question shouldn't be, you know, how do we measure a good teacher? The question should be, what do we need to put in place to make all teachers good teachers? You know, how do we support the talent they have? 
rather than trying to make them fit into this you know process where they're all supposed to do the same thing um yeah so i'm with you on that one and Colin, any words of advice for listeners who are sort of wanting to either adopt or improve hybrid working in their organisation or team? Yeah, I think, I mean, the first thing is that it's, I think we're, we're in a process here. Um, there isn't a great leap from, you know, I mean, the, the uh, pandemic sort of put its hand gently in the back of, of uh, large organisations and gave, gave them a big shove into the future. But generally, it, it's more of an evolution to get to a better place. So rather than trying to come up with a solution for, you know, even these different working models, are we going to go for that one? You know, just see how you can evolve towards it. One of the small changes you can make that, you know, give people a bit more autonomy, give them a bit more choice and start having, you know, have those conversations with people. Like what would, what would you need to make you better at what you're doing? Um, and I think it has to be that ongoing conversation. Because as people, as, as we move forward, you know, be responsive to that and adaptive to that. Um, so it should be, I feel, the way you work should be part of a continual dialogue between employees and, and their managers and the leadership of the organisation. Well, I'm sure that um, our listeners will have lots of food for thought to take away from today. So um, thank you so much, Colin. It's been a pleasure. And Colin, um, I'm assuming you're on LinkedIn. You said you uh, you blog uh, a bit, and I think that's where Joel came across your work. Uh, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn as Colin Newlin. Um, I also do a weekly newsletter on Substack as the Crapify Work. Um, so you can find me in either of those places. Yeah, and the name of your podcast again? Uh, the podcast is called Work Punks. It is currently uh, on YouTube, but it's going to be on all the podcast platforms uh, really soon. Ah, oh, fantastic. Uh, well, thanks, Colin, uh, again, uh, for, for helping us out with this episode and, and sharing, uh, I guess, some of your um, observations and experience with uh, crap work <laughs> related particularly to working arrangements. So, uh, no, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Been a pleasure. Okay, listeners, uh, that brings us to the end of this episode. So um, don't forget we do video these when we do have our conversations with our guests. So you can catch the videos uh, of our podcast on the Flourish DX YouTube page. Uh, you can also check out short clips from our episodes on the LinkedIn page for Flourish DX. And while you're over on LinkedIn, obviously you can find Colin and you'll also find Joelle and myself over there too if you want to continue the conversation. Uh, but that brings us to the end of today. We'll catch you next episode. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on psychological injury prevention, follow Flourish DX on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast at www.psychhealthandsafety.com.